Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. So today I'm talking to the really very lovely and smart and uh, wonderful Dr. Sophie Mort, who is a psychotherapist. And basically, I would like to be her friend. I think you'll agree. She's pretty amazing. And we discuss basically one of the most helpful approaches to self-love that I have ever heard. We get into the incredibly common struggles that you probably believe only affect you. We talk about imposter syndrome and how to stop it from actually holding you back. And we talk about creating distance from negative self-talk. So this is a really juicy and relevant episode. I think you're going to love it. Just to remind you about the free resources that I have for confidence over on my website, you can head over to karmayou.com forward slash confidence and get loads of freebies over there. I'll also tell you about my latest podcasts and courses and offers that I have as well as my one-on-one sessions and my app. So check all of that out at karmayou.com. So let's get into the interview with Dr. Sophie Moore. Welcome, Dr. Sophie. How are you? Thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, Can you please share with everyone listening what it is that you do and how you got to where you are today? Yeah. So hi, I'm Dr. Sophie. Sophie's totally fine. (laughs) Um, I'm a clinical psychologist and... I try and get therapy, well, psychology out of the therapy room and into people's lives in ways that make sense to them. So that means I share psychological information in written form. So on a blog, on Instagram, I work with apps like Happy Not Perfect and I'm doing all sorts of other things I can't tell you about right now, but that will involve disseminating all the psychological information that people need and can't necessarily access because there are so many barriers to getting therapy. And then I also have a private clinic where I see a few people every day in online therapy. How did I get here? Was that the next question? Yeah, I'd love to hear. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I basically spent my whole life studying. That's probably the short, <laughs> the short answer. Um, so I did an undergraduate in psychology, a master's in neuroscience, and a doctorate in clinical psychology, working in the NHS that whole time. And up until two years ago, I worked in Homerton Hospital in London, which is near yours. 
And um, basically, I just reached a point where, whilst I love the NHS and think it's probably the most important thing that we have as British people, I needed to be doing something else because people are on waiting lists for a really long time. And often what was happening is they'd get to the top of the waiting list, they'd get to that one seat in front of me. And irrespective of what service I was working in, they were coming with the same issues, which was, for example, um, why do I feel this way? Such as why am I panicking? Why am I feeling distressed? What are emotions? Um, does it mean I'm crazy? if I'm experiencing emotions, struggles, anxiety, and what are the most basic skills I need to know now? And often after that first session of giving people this, what I would call kind of psychology 101, people didn't necessarily need support anymore. Now that's not the same for everyone, but I decided if I could find a way to give everyone this basic information before they need it, then maybe we wouldn't have people's distress escalating as much as it often does. And maybe that would take away some of the burden on waiting lists and help everyone to understand themselves a little bit more. So that's when I set out on my own and it's just gone from there. Amazing. Yeah, I love what you do and the information that you share and, and how you share it is really, really inspiring and useful. It's mm. such an interesting thing that you mentioned there about um, people thinking that they're crazy for... Mm. for feeling anxious or maybe they're having panic attacks and you know I've had panic attacks myself and you do feel like you're oh go, gonna go crazy that is a big fear yeah absolutely I've had panic attacks and I genuinely thought it was the end of the world yeah yeah and so sometimes it's enough it sounds like you're saying to just say actually it's normal to to feel this way it doesn't mean you're gonna lose your mind well remember that first oh not going to therapize you but remember that first panic attack so i remember not necessarily my first panic attack but i remember many of them because the reason i became a psychologist is actually that about the age of 18 i started having panic attacks and no one could tell me what was going on for me and when i went to the doctors they told me i was depressed which i wasn't i was having panic attacks and didn't know what's going on and just needed some help and what happened okay i'll talk about it for me so you don't i don't have to grill you when i first had those experiences of panic my mind went to, what could this be? The only reference I had was, well, it feels like I'm losing my mind. Anytime someone's talked about mental health in movies, in the news, in my social circle, it's been talked about as that person's losing their mind, they're crazy. I must be going crazy. So the first sensation of panic that I rose in my body quickly escalated to panic attacks. It was like, oh my God, I'm going crazy. If... I'd had that experience and known anytime your brain detects something dangerous or that it thinks is dangerous or stressful in your environment, it only has one way of being and preparing and keeping you safe. And that's to prepare you to run or fight for your life. Your heart will race, your palms will sweat, your mind will race. All of these things will happen and it's totally normal. And we call that anxiety leading up to a panic attack. Then I might've been like, I know what this is. And if someone had told me it's totally normal, Okay, it feels like I'm going to die, but apparently it's totally normal. And if someone had told me the way that you cope is doing X, Y, and Z, I would have done those things. And those first few panic attacks would have been interpreted in a very different way than me as an 18-year-old thinking I was losing my mind and having nowhere to turn to. That kind of first moment when people start to struggle is a real opportunity to help because it's the difference between someone going away and thinking there's something wrong with me and I need to hide that and I feel ashamed of it and someone going away and saying, I know I can speak to someone, I know what I can do, and I know that this is normal. 
such a yeah so such a simple but powerful thing just to to know and to be aware of I, w- I was curious about what your opinion was about kind of online therapy accounts or people you know therapists on Instagram or people who have set up accounts where they're talking about mental health they're talking about giving their advice do you feel like that is helpful or can it be counterproductive or can it be overwhelming what's your opinion on that well I always think there's never one answer and it's almost always all at once okay so I think therapists setting up accounts on Instagram has been a cultural phenomenon that already more people than we'll ever know what I mean by that is psychology and therapy-based information is normally kept behind closed doors, behind waiting lists, kept in universities, in dusty old te- textbooks. It's deeply inaccessible. A lot of the books I've read, <laughs> I mean, I, I've had to almost, you know, have a dictionary out for every single one. Like, what does that mean? And I literally have a doctorate in this. So that's what I mean about it being a struggle. And so therapists setting up spaces where they're making information widely available and accessible mean that people anywhere in the world can now learn about themselves that is is a social justice issue right people should be able to learn about themselves and now people can next thing yes it's deeply overwhelming (laughs) because suddenly you have thousands of people offering advice and actually it's not just therapists we have people without any kind of um clinical qualification with lived experience offering advice fantastic we have therapists offering advice and we don't know where to turn you could read one post on instagram for example that tells you to do x and then you read another one that says don't do x do y and then another one saying no no it's said so it's really overwhelming we don't know who to trust often because we don't actually know the people in real life who are giving the information out And yeah, sometimes it's risky. It's true. You know, Instagram, for example, isn't a private platform. If you put a comment up, anyone can read it. So, and there's no proper guidelines yet in the UK, for example, on how therapists should exist in the online space. So I think it's a game changer. The reality is social media is detrimental to people's health. One billion people now use Instagram, for example. Therapists, I think, have a responsibility to meet people where they're at and overcome barriers that get in the way of people understanding themselves. But we need to be really careful. And you'd have a good answer to this. <laughs> you'd have a good answer. <laughs> I mean, you know, really sitting in this really thought, I've now got my knee up on the chair, like foot up on the chair, like knee up. I've got my fist in my face. Like, I'm really giving this thought. I mean, what do you think about that? Because you're a therapist on in the online yeah, space. Exactly. I... I I mean, personally, I sometimes feel a bit torn because I get a lot of people DMing me wanting mm. like one-on-one advice. But it's very difficult yeah. to do that. And obviously not a good idea to do that Absolutely. when they're not your clients. So very problematic. A strong DM policy yeah. was the thing that really changed it for me. You know, as in, I'm afraid I cannot answer any personal questions. Yeah. Is that what you've had to kind of... Yeah, to? yeah. So trying to explain to people that without knowing their history and being their therapist I can't give people advice and it's incredibly dangerous yeah yeah so that was my my main thought on it but yeah I think it's complicated is the answer it's complicated and I think as long as you're really clear so I have like a really strong policy on how I use Instagram 
and I often post, for example, I've got this slide series as well as lots of disclaimers, that this is generalist information. This isn't about anyone in, specific, in particular. This is the kind of stuff that you could find in a book on a shelf. And yeah, if you DM me, I will have to politely decline, or I might not even see the message because we get so many messages, right? That, yeah, we cannot give people personalized information, but there are crisis lines we could, for example, already have on our page near us. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of the sorts of issues that you tend to see or the things that you come across again and again, can you describe, I always think it's helpful for people to feel a bit less alone in just hearing mm. about how common some of these things are. Can you, can you describe a little bit about the sorts of issues that you help people with and the things you come across a lot? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I'd say as a rule, I'm a generalist. So I'm not a therapist who has a specific model that they work in a specific um, client group or diagnosis. So I would say outside of my clinic, generally what I'm coming across is an extreme feeling of failure, an extreme concern that we are not enough as we are. Um, the consequences of that often being, for example, perfectionism, people pleasing, um, a really strong negative inner critic, um, constant comparison of the self to others, and a real lack of understanding across the world, not because not of people's fault, a real lack of understanding of why it's totally normal that these things would happen. Um, that's not because of ignorance, it's because we're never taught it. Um, and I would say that in my clinic, I see that, but mainly I work with women in their twenties and thirties who, for example, on paper might look like they're killing it, but on the inside are really struggling. So for example, OCD, anxiety, yeah, and it's, it is interesting how common those things are. And yet when you are experiencing that deep sense that you're a failure, that you're not good enough, you're bad, you feel like you're the only one in the world who's ever felt like that. <laughs> yes, it's so alienating. And actually that's something that's so smart. So firstly, because we're not given this information to understand why it's normal to feel like that. Um, and because it's rarely talked about, because there's so much taboo about seeming imperfect, for example, or vulnerable. Um, it's really, uh, it's a very smart system that's been set up to keep us in this feeling of vulnerability, this feeling of failure, which means we're really susceptible, for example, to marketing, for example, to anything that people can sell us to fix us. You know, um, at the most simple level, part of the reason we all feel like we're failing is because we're constantly surrounded by images in magazines, TV, movies, of these people who are deemed to be worthy and lovable. And they look a certain way, they laugh a certain way, they act a certain way, they have everything. And we're taught these people are what we should aspire to. We're never really told that those people don't even really exist either. They've been lit in a certain way, made up in a certain way, they've been created as characters. And we're rarely exposed to people with flaws or vulnerabilities who are struggling. So our brain basically learns those people are good, those people are bad. Our brain is really unnuanced. It's just good, safe, bad, dangerous. And because none of us can kind of reach perfect level, we've also been sold that perfectionism is possible. Um, the moment we look in the mirror, the moment we start trying to do anything, pretty much our whole existence is, I'm falling short of that person. I'm falling short of this idea I've been sold. My worth is based on my productivity and how I come across in the world. So yeah, people aren't failing. They're just 
unable to ever become this perfect ideal that we've been sold and have been told is possible. Yeah, totally. And I think even though we've had, you know, the body positivity movement and a lot of positive, um, you know, ideas in that direction of, you know, it's okay to just be how you are and embrace how you look. Then we've got things like cancel culture where someone made a mistake 10 years ago and they get completely attacked and it's this sense that you're not allowed to make a mistake or ever have made a mistake because that's terrible. Yeah. Whereas people, I was thinking this week about how I'm less interested in the mistakes people made and more interested in how they recover from the mistake, how they learn from it and how they apologize for it. And cancel culture is something that doesn't allow for growth. And it's interesting because that creates more problems inside us. It perpetuates this idea of I need to be perfect on the finished product immediately because if I make a mistake, I will be destroyed. We literally see that happening in the media all the time. So it's not just an idea we have in our heads. It's a reality we've seen. If I mess up, I'll be abandoned, which is pretty much all of our biggest fears, I think. But what's interesting, what you say about body positivity is... It made me think of a couple of things, which is uh, what we often do as humans is we kind of get these new ideas such as body positivity, the idea that we can love ourselves, whatever size we're at, but they often end up being co-opted by these, um, by people who say, well, you can love yourself, but as long as you're this size up to this point, as long as you are like that, but not too much. That's the first thing I was thinking. And the second thing I was thinking is um, body neutrality, I think, is a more interesting, not more interesting, that's a terrible thing to say, is a line of thinking that I've been following and researching the people who talk about it. Because body positivity still has this message of we need to be beautiful to be worthy. Yes, you can be beautiful at any size, but you must be beautiful. Whereas body neutrality, if I understand it right, suggests it just doesn't matter what your body is. It just doesn't matter who you are. Your worth isn't based on that whatsoever. We want to be neutral about how we show up, which means actually we can be more positive about who we are. Mm. Our worth is based on the body that we have. We just want to be healthy and able to think about stuff that isn't our body. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And yeah, I've definitely heard that idea before of just, yeah, not thinking about your body and just mm. being in the moment and being yourself and not having to, um, mm. not having so, to try to think you're beautiful. Like it doesn't matter. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because often what happens in those situations is you just think no matter what I do, I can't find myself beautiful. So I'm failing at body positivity, even though I believe it's a really great idea. And body neutrality, I suppose, isn't saying like, uh, whatever body, whatever. It's like, okay, no body, you are part of me. I will look after you, but my emotions towards you um, don't have to be based around whether I think that you're beautiful or not. Mm, Yeah. Such a good, such a good thing to remember. I saw one of your posts on Instagram about self-love being an action. Can you explain what you, what you mean when you share about that? Mm, Absolutely. So, I mean, there's posts everywhere about self-love, isn't there? And for a really long time, I was like, I really agree. We need to love ourselves because we spend all our time in our thoughts. We spend all our time with ourselves. And actually, when we don't feel good about ourselves, it makes everything else harder. The only thing is that me and a lot of people I spoke to were thinking was that I don't have the warm and fuzzies about myself all the time. 
as I said, it's almost impossible if you grow up in this capitalist society to believe that you're enough the way you are. So I was get thinking, okay, what does this even mean? And have you read the book All About Love by Bell Hooks? No, but oh I will write that down. Yeah, 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 it's just extraordinary. And she in there talks about how, mm, actually a lot of us don't truly know what love means because we've all been raised by different people who were all raised by different people and we all internalize love to be either what we see in the movies, this deeply romantic, often sexual, um, really warm, like, oh, I know I'm in love with you feeling. And or internalize the way that we were raised as kids. So for example, um, you might be told as a little one, you love your family no matter what even if they're nasty to you. You might be taught love is pain. You might be taught love is doing what you are told from the people that are in your family. So we often have these quite conflicting messages about what love is. And then she talks about this man, M. Scott Peck. Oh, I assume it's a man, I actually don't know. Let's say they to make it easier. M. Scott Peck uh, has this quote, which is love is an action. And it's the idea that you extend yourself for the nurturing of your, your own or another person's soul. I don't think he means, um, I think he's a soul or spirit or faith. I think he means as in like the growth of yourself or another. And I just love that because suddenly if you think about that in terms of self-love, you don't have to have this warm and fuzzy feeling about yourself. What you're doing is you're choosing to act. You're choosing to ask yourself, okay, how are you? What do you feel? What do you need right now in this moment? How do I extend myself to meet your needs, basically? And suddenly that means that it doesn't matter how you feel, you can constantly be choosing to show yourself self-love. So did that make sense? I feel like that was a roundabout answer. To your no, it really does. I love that. And, you know, when you're feeling really rubbish or you're experiencing depression or your self-esteem is on the floor, to, to try to love yourself can be like this impossible faraway thing and another thing that you've got to try and do and fail at. Oh, and... I know. But it's just relentless, isn't it? This list of things that we need to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Self-love is choosing to show up to yourself, I think, over and over. And sometimes realizing that maybe self-love is realizing you can't show up to yourself. And what you need in that moment is to be okay with the fact that you can't show up to yourself. Totally. Yeah. That's really reframed things for me a lot and so, so helpful. Yeah. I wanted to ask you another thing I, I saw you writing about was, and I realized that people are listening to a podcast about mental health right now. And, and maybe you've read a lot of, you know, self-help books, people listening, but I saw you suggest somewhere that maybe all these podcasts and self-help books could be an avoidance strategy. And I was really curious for you to unpack that a little bit and share what you meant by that. <laughs> okay, so I love podcasts and I love books. And I think, and as I said, I think we need more and more access to information that can help us understand ourselves. At the same time, it can become an avoidance strategy when, for example, you notice that you are worried about something or you want to learn more about yourself or you have a certain emotional feeling. And so what you do is you buy a self-help book or you line up the next podcast and suddenly, because you've done something, you feel better. So you're like, oh, don't really need to read it or listen to it. So you leave it and then suddenly the feeling comes back. You're like, oh, damn it. I'll line up the next podcast or get the next self-help book. 
but you never actually read it or never actually do it. So I know a lot of people, myself included, that have had whole bookcases of self-help and whole podcast lists that I want to listen to, but just the act of lining them up has made me feel better. But I've never actually gone there. Next thing is people do the opposite. I want to grow, I want to understand myself, I want to feel better. So I consume as much information as I possibly can, podcast after podcast, book after book. Never actually taking time, for example, to reflect past the point of discomfort or engage in a really honest, painful dialogue about what it means or to engage in the exercises that are recommended. The moment you finish one book or podcast, you line up the next straight away. So you're constantly consuming, staying in your head and in your logic, but at a very superficial level without ever really bringing it into your body. So ideally what we do we learn about ourselves, we pause, we ask what that means to us. When the urge to avoid or move on comes up, we sit with it, we do the exercises that are recommended. And after that, if we feel we need more information, we move on to the next one. Mm, yeah, I think, I know I've definitely done that as well to you know, <laughs> read through a self-help book, but have all, every intention of doing the exercises but because it's a bit hard and actually it's causing me to actually have to reflect on things that might be painful I might mm. just avoid them but actually we're going to get so much more from it if we can properly engage with it and stay with it even if it's uncomfortable um, yeah. rather than just trying to get our next fix of yeah next thing yeah. and the next thing and the next thing <laughs> and it's funny because um I absolutely do what you're saying and often I think I'll come back to it. I'll come back and do that exercise. <laughs> and I really, in the moment, believe it. And then, like a few days later, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And then I wonder, why is that a little bit you feel uncomfortable? And I think most of us think that um, knowledge is power. Don't get me wrong, knowledge is power. But most of us think knowledge is enough. And it's, it's not most of the healing we need to engage in actually involves our body, involves our emotions and moving through things. Mm, okay so yeah it's not quite enough just to read a self-help but you have to engage with it let the let the wisdom of the self-help book sort of move into your body and do do the work do the work yeah and learning about yourself often really sucks yeah like yeah you're going to find out things about yourself that you may not like and that's of course then we would avoid mm. So a little bit of self-kindness, a little bit of that self-love. So, okay, I've reached a point in this book where I'm just really overwhelmed. So what do I need to do? I need to take a break, but my next act of self-love is making sure I come back. So the action to extend, you know, extend myself to meet my soul's needs. Mm. Thank you for saying that, because I think there can be this idea of it should just be positive. You read a self-help book, you listen to a podcast, get your positive vibes on, you know, and maybe people don't experience that. And actually it is painful, like looking at yourself oh, and ruthless. yeah. Like my therapist, I've known her, I don't know how long for. <clears throat> and, you know, once you reach that point where you feel really safe in therapy and you're able to really look at the things that you really struggle with. Oh, and you look into the darkest corners of your mind. Yeah, it can be horrifying. And without someone there who makes you feel safe enough to talk about it, or safe enough to know that they're not going to judge you on top of how much you're going to judge yourself. It can be almost impossible to do that. 
And so that's another thing is self-help books may not be enough for everyone. You might actually need to speak to someone, but at the same time, self-help books can be a real dream because there's no one looking at you whilst you're doing the exercises. You can do it in a deeply personal way where you know you're not being judged by anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's an important point that it can be, you need, to, you need to have a therapist that you can trust and really open mm-hmm. up to because it, it can be very confronting, I guess, to, to really go into all the things that you're ashamed of. And Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 and uh, totally normal. But your mind won't tell you. Ah, oh, is that the right? Your mind won't tell you it's normal. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you're struggling with at the moment, and how are you managing it right now? Uh, so I think most people going through what we've been going through in this country. So lockdown every day is a new challenge. But I suppose. What I was really aware of this morning, I was writing um, an article for someone and then speaking to you. And I noticed that this week there's been a lot of imposter syndrome. So really, and, and performance anxiety. Yay. Uh, this really strong sense that um, why me? It should be someone else. If, uh, if I do this, am they really going to find out that I'm a fraud? Am I the right person? Am I good enough? Am I going to mess this up? That's definitely the nicer version of the way that the thoughts go in my mind they're much more brutal than that um so lots of imposter syndrome and I suppose it really helps being a therapist who works with these kind of quite strong feelings of failure anxiety performance anxiety anyway so how do I show up for myself when that happens well I suppose firstly I'm honest about it I surround myself with people who make it possible to talk about these things. I know that imposter syndrome and performance anxiety are totally natural things that happen to everyone. You know, um, our brain is almost totally negatively skewed. We've survived as a species by our brain constantly scanning the environment for everything that could go wrong which means that the moment I sit down to do work, my brain is not only using social comparison theory to make me feel terrible comparing me to everyone else that I read their work, but it's also then using this kind of negative skew to look for anything that'll go wrong and start pointing it out to me. Like, oh, you're really going to mess this one up. I bet that person would have done a better job. Um, So yeah, I remind myself of the science. I ground myself. I do some breathing exercises. I also, I don't know if you've noticed, my jumper's quite fluffy. I often wear, when I'm stressed out, like really tactile clothes and I ground myself by like being able to touch things that are soft or hold things that just bring me back into the present moment. So I have lots of little tricks like that that really help just bring me back into the moment. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think imposter syndrome, depending on which survey or study you look at, affects between 50 and 100% of all humans at some stage or another. So it's just almost a universal thing that at times we're going to feel like we're not good enough or that, you know, who am I to do this? It was just luck that I got here. So, yeah. so common. Yeah. yeah. I once read, um, I once did a story on Instagram about Harry Potter. I love Harry Potter. And there's this, have you, have you read it or seen it? I may have watched the movies. I, I haven't read the books. Okay. So in the movies, he's just got to Hogwarts and they like put the hat on, which will decide which house he's going to be in. And they're just the most beautiful description of imposter syndrome. Like he's like, oh my God, they're going to realize I'm not meant to be here. And uh, like growing up with Harry Potter, he's like a hero of mine. Right? So the idea, when I read that, I was like, 
Harry Potter has imposter syndrome. Like, it's totally okay. I have it. I'm never going to be a magic wizard. So that helps. <laughs> You're in good company. Yeah, exactly. Good company. I was curious about are there other things that you do for your own mental health or your own mental well-being that that help you? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I said I have a therapist. She's a dream. I speak to her every week. That's been really important for me. When things, I try and do this thing called uh, morning pages. So it's a form of journaling. Have you heard of it? Yeah, yeah. It's just wonderful. Like get up in the morning and write, just free write for three pages and just get it all out. And I think it's an unstructured form of journalism that, journalism, <laughs> journaling that allows me to make sense of that kind of ball of wool that often forms in our minds where we have loads of thoughts going on and loads of feelings but we're unsure what they are and also I think most of the time most of the time I'm in control right as in like I'm planning what I'm gonna say um, I've learned about the topic I'm, I'm doing very rarely do I let myself just kind of freely tumble out everything that's inside my head and onto paper so that's integral to me kind of offloading and allowing my mind some space to breathe uh running which i'm very bad at and deeply dislike but know that after i run i feel amazing so actually yeah so those three things and surrounding myself by with people who aren't afraid to say that they're flawed and talk about their vulnerabilities yeah amazing yeah i've spoken to a lot of people recently who who run but say they hate it but they do it for the mental well well-being aspect yeah i mean there are moments where i'm like oh my word this is great I'm like going it's going so well I've got my music on and but yes I haven't reached that point where other people say I just feel so good when you're running it's just that I know this if I don't I struggle so could you share some tools or some of your favorite tools that people can perhaps start to do at home anything for feeling calmer or happier or more confident yeah 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 so um, I nearly, this is always my go-to. I recently did uh, this really wonderful little documentary with someone about it. Okay, so one of the reasons that we often feel not great is that we have this hugely negative skewed brain and it's constantly chipping away at us, making statements about us that are often very untrue but feel deeply untrue because our brain has told us so. And most of us are fused with our thoughts. So if I think it, it must be true. So one of my favorite things to do comes from ACT, this uh, acceptance and commitment therapy. And I'm going to tell you two parts. Okay. So the first bit is a kind of really simplified idea around mindfulness where you observe your thought. But what you do is multiple times throughout the day, you notice what's happening in your mind. So you notice what thoughts are there. And then you just repeat whatever thought it is with the beginning saying, I notice I'm having the thought that, and then you say, so for example, um, <laughs> often when I do this practice, I did in this documentary the other day, the two guys I was doing it with, they both said, um, feel like an idiot was the thought that popped up in their mind. So you notice the thought was, I feel like an idiot. And you'd say, I notice I'm having the thought that I feel like an idiot. And you practice this multiple times. And the first thing is by adding that sentence to the beginning, you're creating some psychological distance between your thought and you. Suddenly you can observe it. It's almost like moving away from it. So that's the first thing. Now the next bit, and this is my absolute favorite bit, 
and it takes <laughs> it often takes a long time in therapy to reach a point for someone to say yeah yeah i'll get on board with this idea yeah it sounds great um people have got to trust you is where you then start singing that sentence to a tune that you enjoy you're smiling you've heard of this right i haven't heard of it but i'm just i'm just oh, smiling at the, the thought of <laughs> it's so good it's so good now the reason i say it takes time in therapy to get to this point is often people um, what you do not want to ever be suggesting is we want to make fun of the thoughts that you're having because our thoughts are deeply distressing and deeply personal when we add the song to it all we're doing is uh, creating more distance between you and that thought so I notice I'm having the thought that I'm an idiot. For example, you could do that to the tune of Jingle Bells. In fact, on the doc when I filmed the documentary with those two guys, um, these two New Yorkers, one of them sang theirs to um, Rihanna's Umbrella and the other one to Jeez. Staying Alive. It was absolutely incredible. And we did all have a real giggle. It was a really lovely moment, but the idea isn't to make you laugh. The idea is just to give you this tool that can make you look at your thought in a different way and recognize it's just a line of text, a line of words. It's something that you can move away from and that will be replaced by something else. Ultimately, when you practice this loads of times, you, you do start to find that you relate differently to your thoughts. You not only have more distance, but there is some, a certain kind of levity around it. But those are like my go-to for everyone that I think everyone could engage in right now and easily. That would help. Mm, I love that. I love that. Definitely going to be singing some uh, <laughs> some of my worries later on. Mm. And and yeah. So just just saying to yourself, I'm noticing that I'm having the Ooh. thought about being an imposter, whatever mm. it is. Yeah. Um, you you repeat the exact sentence in your head that you've had in your head. Like yeah. they're going to find me out. I'm going to do a terrible job. I notice I'm having the thought that I'm going to do a terrible job. Mm, mm hmm. Mm hmm. I'm not thinking to you, but imagine I was that, hoping, then. I was <laughs> hoping that you were going to. <laughs> I could see that look on your face. I was like, uh-uh. Just uh -uh. expectant and, and waiting. <laughs> I'm sure people listening, thousands of people are singing right now. I hope about, so. Uh, you all, yeah. anyone who's listening, you should be deeply grateful that I did not do a vocal demonstration. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you so much. That's been so, so helpful. Um, I've loved everything you've shared and I love your work and what you're putting out there and I can't wait to see what other projects you have in the pipeline can you um, can you share about how people can find out more about you and what you're up to and, and get involved yeah. in what you're doing so uh, my Instagram is at underscore Dr. Soph so at underscore D-R-S-O-P-H and every time I say this, I always think, I always ask, if anyone knows who the at Dr. Soph is on Instagram, please let me know. <laughs> and it's always been quite hilarious that I'm at underscore Dr. Soph and uh, people can never find me. And that there's this other Dr. Soph, we've never spoken. People always tag them in the things that I'm meant to be being tagged in. Uh, so yeah, hi Dr. Soph, if you're listening, it would be great <laughs> to talk one day, but I'm at underscore D-R-S-O-P-H. And then my website is, drsoph.com so drsoph.com and i'm on happy not perfect the app and all sorts of things like that amazing thank you so much for talking to me today oh it's my pleasure i loved it you have been listening to the karma you podcast with me chloe brotheridge don't forget you can download loads of freebies for anxiety and confidence at my website karmayou.com you can also find out about my app and my one-on-one -on -one sessions 
please do subscribe to this podcast in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have enjoyed it or found it helpful, please leave me a review. It makes a massive difference to helping the podcast get discovered by other people. And come on over and find me on Instagram. I'm hanging out there every day. You can find me at Chloe Brotheridge. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please do share it with anyone who might need to hear this today. So I'm sending you loads of love and I hope you have a brilliant week ahead. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.